You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're going to start the fourth chapter of Yivamot. But we're actually going to start it at the seventh Mishnah. We're going to start it slightly unusually in the middle. Because we need to understand the seventh Mishnah in order to be able to understand the first one. So we're going to start in the middle. And I think the way this Mishnah is operating is a bit like kind of hyperlinks or expansions. So in other words, the Mishnah will say something at the beginning of the chapter that is expanded later on in the chapter. So I, I think that's the way it's organized. But in order, because we sort of learn in a linear way, we're going to start, if you like, further down, and then we're going to work our way back to the first Mishnah. So the seventh Mishnah, and I've trimmed it down a little bit. We'll learn the Mishnah in full in a couple of days. But the bit we need is in the middle. Someone who performs chalitza with his yivama, he's forbidden to marry her relatives, and she's forbidden to marry his relatives. Now, someone who's done chalitza essentially has a status of someone who's divorced. Actually, they both have the, state, the status of someone who's divorced. And that's because, as we've said before, that the state of yibum, of leveret marriage, is something that actually happens somehow automatically when one brother dies. So you can only get out of it with what is effectively a divorce. The chalitza is equivalent to a divorce needs Chalitza to get out of it. So once, once Chalitza has been performed, the couple are a bit like a divorced couple. And all the restrictions which apply to a divorced couple apply to a couple who've done Chalitza. So the Mishnah goes on, who are Surab Ima, he can't marry her mother. Because you can't, in general, you can't marry your wife's mother and you can't marry your divorced wife's mother. Uva Emimo and uh, her grandmother, same thing. You can't marry your wife's grandmother even after divorce. Uva Emaviha and his grand, uh, the grandmother on the other side. Uva Vita and her daughter. Uva Vita and her granddaughter. Uva Vapana and her granddaughter by her son. Uva Achotab is Manchihi Kayemet. And also her sister while she's alive. The mission is very explicit here. So it is permitted to marry two sisters after one of them dies, but not when they're both still alive. There are harin mutarin, and the brothers are permitted. So, you know, your brother can do any of these things if you've done chalitza, but you can't. And same restrictions, similar restrictions apply to her. But he aviv, she can't marry his father. You can't can't marry the father of your husband, his grandfather, and his son and his grandson, and his brother, and his brother and his brother's son, his nephew. So all these are kind of classic forbidden relationships. And we've said before, but it's worth saying again that what the tractate of Yivamot is doing, the, the, the name on the tin, the name on the can says it's about Yivamot, it's about leveret marriage, but actually it's the first tractate of the order of Nashim, of the order of the farm, so to speak. 
So actually what this tractate is doing is defining the boundaries of marriage. That's really what we're doing. And essentially that's what we've done in this seventh Mishnah in the fourth chapter. So now that we've got that in our heads, we can go back backwards and learn the first Mishnah in the fourth chapter. Someone performs chalitza for his yivama. He performs chalitza for his sister-in-law after the death of his brother. And she finds that she's pregnant. And she has a son. Now, hang on. The whole state of Yibum only arises when a childless man dies. So, okay, maybe he was childless when he died, but hang on, she's pregnant. So in kind of sort of the long term, he's not childless and there's no need for Yibum. And of course, that means there's no need for Chalitza. The Chalitza is basically irrelevant. The Chalitza is a, it's a ceremony, but it turns out retrospectively, it had no significance at all because she was never a Yivama. Yibum was never needed. So, okay, she spat in, a sh she spat in his face and, and, and taken off his shoe. But, I mean, it's just a ritual. There's no legal significance at all with her actions. Providing that the child lives. And, of course, child mortality was pretty significant in the time of the Mishnah. Not all children did. And, and you know, not all pregnancies came to term. Anyway, when in Mubarak, she's found to be pregnant. Okay, bizman shavlad shel, bizman shavlad shel kayama. If the child is viable, so if the pregnancy goes to term and the child survives, who mutar bikrobateha, he can marry her relatives, because she doesn't have a status of someone who's done chalitza, so she doesn't have the status of someone who's divorced. It's nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. He, he can marry her relatives. And she can marry his relatives. She's not divorced. She never went through Chalitza. And she's not, um, she, she's not disqualified from marrying a priest. Priest doesn't marry a divorced woman. But she's not a divorced woman. She's not a Chalitza. She might have gone through the ritual, but actually nothing happened of any legal significance. If the child's viable, if the child isn't viable, ah, oh, okay, so that at that point, the husband really, the, 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 the deceased husband really did deceased child. So then the Khalitza does take effect. Obviously, at that point, he's forbidden to marry her relatives, she's forbidden to marry his relatives, and she actually can't marry a Kohen. That's the one, I mean, that's a significant downside for her in this whole process. So the process of rejecting her brother-in-law means she can no longer marry a Kohen. And we again, we might see this. We're going to see Yavamot in coming day, in you know, in coming months, and this is going to be one of the tangible downsides to Chalitza that we're going to we're going to see. So that's the first Mishnah. What about if he marries? What about if instead of doing Chalitza, so we let's have the same scenario? She's found to be pregnant, but instead of 
performing Chalitza, they performed Yibum. He's actually married his deceased brother's wife, Yibum. And then, hang on, they find out later, they find out later there was no need for this because, hang on, she was pregnant all the time. So there's no need for Yibum. There's no possibility of Yibum. Now, can you kind of just do Yibum? Well, we learned right at the beginning of the track day that Yibum's a delicate, it's a delicate proposition. Because sure, there's a mitzvah, Yibum, it's in Devarim, we learned Sukim. But there's also a prohibition on marrying your brother's wife. Ervat Eishet Achicha Lo Tegaleh. It's a verse in Vayikra, in the partial Kadoshim in Leviticus. Ervat Eishet Achicha Lo Tegaleh. Don't uncover the nakedness of the wife of your brother. You can't marry your brother. In principle, you can't marry your brother's wife. The Yibum, the leveret marriage, is an exception. Ervat Achicha. He, it's the nakedness of your brother. So we're in Yibum, we're treading this, we're treading this delicate, delicate balance. So providing the brother's childless, we're obliged, or the his we're obliged to offer his 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 wife Yibum. But if the brother isn't childless, we're forbidden. So depending on the state of that pregnancy, we're either obliged or we're forbidden. There's no kind of optional middle road in the middle. So let's look at the Mishnah now. Hakoneset Yivimto, someone who marries his Yivama, he marries his, his sister in law after his brother deceases. Then he'd say, Muberet, and she's found to be pregnant. Vyelda, and she has a baby. Okay, Bizman shall Vlad shall Kayama, if the child's viable, Yotsi Vihayavin Bakurban. If the child's viable, he has to send her away. He's in breach of the prohibition on marrying your brother's sister. He has to divorce her, and they have to bring a korban. If the child's not viable, I mean, the Mishnah says, it will stand. I've translated that as he may keep her, but I think it might also mean the marriage stands, the yibum stands. If if the, if, if the child of the previous husband isn't viable, then the previous husband died childless. So the Yibum stands, she's married to the brother. What if there's a doubt? What if there's a doubt? Safek ben Tishala Rishon, Safek ben Shivala Acharon. Maybe, maybe it was a nine month pregnancy of the first one. That's the deceased brother. Safek ben Shivala Acharon. Maybe it was a seven-month pregnancy of the second brother. So the rabbis have a view, by the way, that pregnancies can't be eight months. So they they know about preterm births, and they think of that as seven months. I mean, I mean, I think their scientific understanding was not quite as complete as ours is today, and they probably had. Tr- Maybe they didn't, couldn't it's accurately determine month of conception. Anyway, they had a view that a seven to a seven-month pregnancy could happen. So an early term baby could be born. Or and they know that a not, most pregnancies are nine months. So they have got some decent science. I think if they saw an eight-month pregnancy, they just assumed that it was a seven-month that 
you know, with the day miscalculation or something. But the point is that if this baby is born right on the borderline, we don't know who the father is. It's a doubt. It's absolutely a doubt. Absolutely a doubt. If it might be a nine-month child from the first husband or a seven-month child from the second, he sends her away. The rabbis are going to be strict when they're worried about 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 forbidden relationships. But they have lad kasher, the, the, the child's kasher. Why is a child kasher? Well, look, if it belongs to the first husband, then that's his child, right? He's, she's, uh, he clearly, he's not childless. So there's a problem with the yibum, with the second marriage. But the child belongs to the first husband, so the child is fine. If it's a seven-month pregnancy and the child belongs to the second husband, well, in that case, the first husband did die childless. So again, the child's the child of the Yibum. So there's absolutely no doubt that the child is fine either way. Either it belongs to the first husband or the second husband in perfectly legitimate circumstances. But the rabbi still say he must divorce her because there's a doubt. And they bring an Asham Talui. And Asham Talui is a... Um, a sort of a dependent sin offering. If you're not quite sure whether you committed a sin or not, you bring an asham talui. It's a let's say a, it's a sort of just in case sin offering. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah podcast with Benedict. <laughs>